Well, our moms think we're funny. Hey, everybody. This is Turk182. And I'm a Comey. Hey, Comey, what's going on? Oh, not much. How about you? Um, I'm doing okay. Well, right now, I'm, I'm actually, I got a bit of a headache. Um, I'm a little tired. Uh, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure she got free of those handcuffs now. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to do it. So, uh, uh, like I said, I, um, I'm a little tired and I got a bit of a headache, but I'm, 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 I'm hanging in there. We've had a rough recording, uh, a recording session so far. But <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. What were we doing? The, the last, the, our, the, our last podcast was pretty good though. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I feel good about that. Oh, nice transition. You see that? That was, wipe? Yeah, that was, that was nice. Solid. Um, so, um, so wait, so I was saying, I wanted to kind of, um, kind of do something a little bit different and it's not really a, um, a funny topic, but you know, we've always been able to find ways to interject little bits of humor, you know, back and forth in the episodes. Yeah. So I like this chick. I think she's nice looking or anything. She does not have the right ass for those pants. (laughs) No. Um, um. but um, but well, you and I talked about this. I think like briefly, um, and I just kind of mentioned. I was like, "Wow, like this is like kind of a crazy thing." Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I wanted to kind of kind of come back to it and really talk about it, talk about it in depth, kind of like the way we did um, we did uh, the episode of um, um, uh, uh, Satanic Panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, so, but this one's a, a little more, a little harsher, maybe. Um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, let me get over here to it. So it was. Um, go back to my saved articles here. Uh, shut up. Okay. Um, so um, we. Uh, this was on. I'm thinking that I saw it. Um, it was like a. I'm trying to think exactly how I came how I came across. But anyway, um, but it was a uh, it was like a news article. I think I saw it. It was maybe the anniversary or something, and I read something about it. But anyway, um, the uh, United Airlines Flight 629. Um, okay. That uh, exploded um, over Colorado. Maybe so. Maybe it wasn't an anniversary. I guess we we're not there yet. But anyway, it was kind of this the story, and I read, it and I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "That's that's crazy." Uh-huh. It's I'm like that's crazy. And then they were kind of talking about different things. I was like, "Like that." It just kind of I, don't know, I was gonna say blew me away, but that's like <laughs> no, that's not what I want to say. It was just kind of like wow. I was I was. Just in shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember me telling you about this at all? It's not ringing a bell right off, no. Okay. All right. So uh, this is from Wikipedia. Um, So the United uh, Airlines Flight 629 uh, was a Douglas DC-68 aircraft, also known as a mainliner Denver, that was blown up on November 1st, 1955 by a dynamite bomb placed in the checked luggage. The explosion occurred over Longmont, Colorado, uh, at 6.52 p.m., uh, while the airplane was en route from Denver to Portland, Oregon. Um, all 39 passengers and five crew members on board were killed in the explosion and crash. Jeez. 
Investigators determined that John Jack Gilbert Graham was responsible for bombing the airplane to kill his mother as revenge for his childhood and to obtain a large life insurance payout. Within 15 months of the explosion, Graham, who had already had an extensive criminal record, was tried, convicted, and executed for the crime. All right. So, All right. Uh, so the reason that I wanted I wanted to talk about this is because it's not really the explosion so much, but just kind of like like this is. I do remember you telling me about the snow. It's just it's just like it's kind of wild uh, when uh, as we get into kind of hearing about the the actual explosion itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the plane had originated from New York's LaGuardia on November 1st and made a scheduled stop in Chicago before continuing to Denver. Um, so it was fueled up and ready to go. Uh, the flight took off at 6.52 and at 6.56 made its last transmission, stating it was passing the Denver Omni. Several minutes later, Stapleton, um, which the uh, pilot... Uh, Sorry, Stapleton air, air Traffic Controllers saw two bright lights suddenly appear in the sky northwest of the airport. Both lights were observed for 30 to 45 seconds, and both fell to the ground at roughly the same speed. The controllers saw the, uh, a very bright flash originating, originating at or near the ground, intense enough to illuminate the base of the clouds 10,000 feet above the source of the flash. Upon observing the mysterious lights, the controllers quickly determined that there were no aircraft in distress and contacted all aircraft flying in the area. All flights were quickly accounted for except for Flight 629. Numerous telephone calls soon began coming in from farmers and other residents near Longmont who reported loud explosions and fiery debris falling from the night sky and remains of Flight 629. Ground searchers who reached the crash site determined that all 44 people aboard had been killed. Debris from the accident was scattered across six square miles. Jeez. Six square miles. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to come back to the Wikipedia article. Um, and this is that, that's where it really kind of caught my attention there when I was reading the original article. Um, was that, uh, uh, was that, I was like, uh, like, what, like, that's, that, that's just that's, that's wild. I mean, not not in a good way, but just like six miles. Now, of course, you know, you talk the plane's traveling at you know particular airspeed. So when um, so when it explodes, it's still going to be traveling. You know, some of this can still be traveling at that speed mm-hmm. and just strewn over. But six and so again, six square miles. So yep. you're talking yep. about like night six miles, like straight across. So like I'm like, wow, that's yeah, that's insane. Yeah, yeah, and it's just. And then to think that the guy who did this, like, you know, I'm going to get revenge on my mom, so let me go ahead and blow up this plane full of people. <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, what's our guy's name? Um, uh, the Lamonte, whatever it is. Uh, the hood rat. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the cigarettes kid. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of, this is that, this that kind of mentality is like, I don't care about them. I don't care about none of them. You know, like, that's this guy's kind of like thing. Want to do bad things. Yeah. Just like wow. So what I want to pull up is the if I can find the um the article that I had read. Um Yeah. Because I had interviews with the um with the people and I actually tried to find it, um which is weird because I saw the I read the article and then I tried to um I tried to pull it up and to prepare for this and I couldn't find it. And I'm like, but I just read this thing. It was like a new article. I just read this thing. Right, right. You, you know, a couple months back. I'm like, why is it I can't find it again? <laughs> um, 
So let's take a look at this. Uh, yeah, this is not it. That's a podcast. I don't want to read somebody's podcast. Boom, oh, boom, boom. But, yeah, um, that would actually make our job a lot easier. Do it. <laughs> just like all of a sudden in the middle of our podcast, we just link to another podcast and just walk away. Okay, we're done. <laughs> you guys check that out and then we're going. Um, now, wish, uh, Man, I, I, like I said, I didn't want to read straight from the, uh, from the Wikipedia article because there was, um, there were some, uh, there were some eyewitness accounts and everything mm-hmm. that, uh, I thought were really interesting and kind of like going over and you know, kind of talking about what was, uh, like what it was like kind of being on the ground and, and witnessing that or, you know, yeah, yeah. being aware of it. And I was like, like wow. This might be it here. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is the one we're fine. Okay. So, um, it says here, uh, Conrad Hopp can talk about supper that night, how he and his family sat down for a meal in the house where he grew up on a farm east of Longmont. It was the 1st of November, 1955, and Hopp was 18, less than a year out of school. The family had spent all day in the field, like so many days before, harvesting sugar beets. Mm-hmm. So, so he and his family, they, you know, that's what they did. They, you know, they were farmers and they harvested sugar beets. Okay. Yeah, not, okay. you know, okay, just, and this is the thing is, they were just average, you know, it's just that average, like, life, you know, farm life in Colorado. Okay. So, um, give me one moment here. Yeah, no problem. That was actually the one I would have suggested. <laughs> uh, it's a, uh, written by Jim Wernoski. Oh, nice. All right. And then we heard this loud explosion that shook all the windows in the house, Hop said. We looked outside and we could hear the roar of the engines. And that's how you knew it was a plane and the ball of fire coming through the air. Hop and his brother ran outside and lost sight of the flaming wreckage behind the outbuildings of the farm. They jumped in Conrad's car, a 54 Chevy, and drove across rows of alfalfa, dodging debris that had fallen from the sky. They reached an irrigation ditch in a thicket of trees, and Conrad parked the car, his headlights shining on the back of an airline seat. His brother climbed over a fence and ran to the wreckage. Go get some coats, he yelled to Conrad as the chilly night air set in. Here in his memories where Hop stops himself. I'm sorry, he says, I can't do this. When he turned back to his car, he saw the front of the airline seat and a body was still strapped in the seatbelt. Wow. So, I had a dream once. And it was one of those just kind of weird dreams. And the thing is, I can still remember, like, not everything leading up to this part, but I remember this part, like, vividly. Mm-hmm. Something was going on and it was one of those weird dreams where I was like, you know, like your dream will shift. And I was doing something, I was going through, and I was meeting people, and at one point I was running, and I cut through these people's yard, and had um, cut through these hedges, and I was uh, standing there, and I went to go talk to somebody, and I think I was talking to a girl about something, and then I looked up, and there was a plane that was coming down, huh. and it was coming down in the... Uh, 
And I remember looking over and I'm seeing this plane come down and the plane like just kind of noses down, like almost at an angle, not directly, but nose down at an angle yeah, and yeah. hits and it, it hits and kind of flips over. And I just remember just standing there watching this thing come down and just, and just wasn't where you're like, why would you run? Right. Because it's, and the, you get kind of like the feeling that as I'm watching this, I'm like, you're just mesmerized by this thing coming down yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and landing in front of you. And as it hits, it's, it kind of, as it hit the nose, it kind of flipped over towards me. So the tail end of the plane is coming down towards me. And, um, and like the shadow of it kind of coming down over me. Um, oh, wow. And it doesn't land on me because it's, it's too far away, but it's coming towards me. Right. And then right. it hits and explodes. And that's when my dream ended. Like, I don't <laughs> think I woke up at that point. Um, but like, that's when my dream ended, but there's like, and then like the, the, the explosion and like the force of it all, like I could feel that thing coming towards me. I was like, wow. Yeah. And it's Jeez. like, and I remember that, that dream, it was, it was pretty vivid. I wasn't scared. That was a weird thing. Like I wasn't scared. <laughs> um, but then when I read this article and it made me kind of go back to like think about that dream and I was like, there's so much that you don't think about. Right. Um, like this happened back in 1955. I do remember kind of hearing about the uh, the plane that exploded over um, Lockerbie, Scotland, and that was like a terrorist thing where the okay. plane was flying and it, and it blew up and everything and just rained debris down on this town. Yeah, yeah. In Scotland, it was like, and the only thing when you hear the accounts here about that I'm about to read to you and think about it, like you're like, holy shit, that's right. just like you. It, it's to me, it's. In a similar vein, if, if you can put yourself in, in this, um, in something that, that's relatable to where you can kind of get understanding, mm-hmm. you ever drop like a, like a spoon that maybe you had spaghetti sauce in it? Yeah. And you drop it on the kitchen floor and, and just you spatters. Right. And you clean it up. And then, like, a couple weeks later, like, you do something, you drop something on the floor and you're going to pick it up and, like, what is that? Yep. Is that spaghetti sauce? Like, how did it get all the way over here? Like, yep. like, why is there spaghetti sauce in my bedroom? My kitchen's all the way over there. Like, what is spaghetti <laughs> sauce doing in my, like, you know, it's like, it's like that. Like, like, how in the world did that get all the way over here? Look at that yep. weapon. What's that? Look at that weapon. It's like a panther claw. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's but really I'm cool. like, I'm like, how in the world did, did that, did that happen? Um, so, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like that in a sense. If, like, say again, if you can put your, yourself in this kind of like, this, a, a a an idea or mindset that's uh, on a kind of a a more elementary level. Um, so anyway, the explosion of United Airlines Flight Six Twenty Nine um, six four years ago. Uh, it says six four years ago this week when the article was written. So, but I read it this year. So right, anyway, right. Um, was one of the first attacks on a commercial airliner in the U in the U S. It was also the deadliest act of mass murder in Colorado history, killing 44 people on board, five crew members and 39 passengers, including a 13-month-old boy. The aircraft took off from Denver, as we talked about. Um, the aircraft traffic controllers touched base with every plane in the airspace. This one did not respond. Uh, they soon learned that um, the explosion that investigators soon learned was a culmination of a young man's anger towards his mother, who was on the flight and the 25 sticks of dynamite he placed in her suitcase. You're blowing... Five sticks? Thank you. You're blowing up a plane. It does not take 25 sticks of dynamite to blow up a plane in flight. No. Good Two. Lord. Two. 
I mean, that's not that I'm an advocate for blowing up planes, mind you, but 25 <laughs> sticks? Like, but, but I am an advocate for not wasting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit. Like, that just, I mean, 20, like, I mean, I, I get it. You want to be thorough, but come on, dude. Like, get it's a plane. You blow a hole in the side of the, in a plane, the side of a plane in midair. Like, that's pretty much it. They I mean, the, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it's a done deal. All right, so, and the 25-6 diamond he packed in her suitcase. The plane blew up at about uh, 5,780 5, feet above the ground over the farmland. The wreckage was strewn about six square miles um, near where Interstate 25 now meets Colorado 66. In the moments after the explosion, hundreds of callers like called in, as we kind of talked about before. Um, Keith Cunningham, the Longmont police chief at the time, called the Colorado State, Colorado State Patrol and sent every police officer and firefighter in the city to the scene and dispatched every ambulance too. A few minutes later, the newspaper reported a patrolman radio back, no ambulances are necessary. No ambulance necessary. About two miles to the south, Mar- Martha Hop, then Conrad's girlfriend and a senior at Mead High School, was also sitting down for support. So was sitting down for supper when the explosion happened. Martha and her father, just like everyone else in the, ca- in the county, ran outside and drove towards the wreckage. And when we looked around, every road was lights. Up on the hill, everywhere you everywhere you look was lights because everyone was doing the same thing to go see what happened. All right, now, this is where it starts to get troubling. Mm-hmm. About a quarter mile up the road, they began to see silverware from the plane littered across the ground. Then letters, pieces of paper, and large dinner trays. Martha joined Conrad in his father's two-ton truck, and they spent the night looking for bodies. One victim fell into a straw pile, and Conrad helped the fork the pile apart to find the body. Using the truck, Martha marked where the bodies were found by driving circles around them. At that point in time, you don't even realize what you're experiencing at the time until after the fact. When you try to think about it later, it bothers you. It takes its toll. The Rocky Mountain News described the night as a scene of death and horror under flickering flames and it searches in a state of shocked days. Hundreds of persons milled around in the beet field between Longmont and Platteville. There were certain things to do. Cover the bodies, make futile efforts to quell the flames of the burning uh, wreckage. But for the most part, they stood around in quiet, stunned groups waiting. Martha went to school the next day, and Conrad kept helping. Hundreds of the searchers formed a line, he said, standing about an arm's length apart and walked across the vast fields, combing the ground for every piece of the wreckage. It was meticulous work. The Civil Aeronautics Board report, for example, detailed how the tail of the plane landed some 4,600 feet to the southeast of the motors, and the wings, which created deep craters at impact, and the front of the aircraft landed about 600 feet to the north of those craters. Another panel from the wings landed 600 feet to the south of the craters. The rest of the wreckage was scattered across the fields. The investigators likely mapped out where every piece of the plane was found. A former accident investigator talked about. The process became even more meticulous once the wreckage was taken to a warehouse, where the investigators began to reconstruct the body of the plane around a frame of chicken wire, piecing together hundreds of scraps of disintegrated aircraft. Says, uh, when at thin hours of the crash, it became clear that an explosion of such great intensity wasn't a malfunction of the plane. Um, and then they realized they, you know, the dynamite and stuff. Um, so within days, days, the investigators had pinpointed the source of the explosion, a dynamite type blast in baggage compartment number four in the cargo hold. <sighs> at this stage, six days after the crash, um, they contact the FBI and begin a, a criminal investigation. 
I will say, I'm always fascinated by how they put planes and stuff like that back together again. Yeah. Uh, I would, not a job I would want. No. But for them to take all those pieces and everything and put them back together again is like, that's, wow. It's very impressive. It's very, very impressive. But I agree, I would not want to, to do that. No. <laughs> like, like just taking apart printers and putting them back together, I can say there's like nothing more frustrating than just being like, where is that last goddamn screw? Yeah, the thing where of, is it? The thing about me is when you put these things back together again, you don't have the luxury of cleaning them up. Yeah. You know, so it's like, ugh. Look like, at that gorilla costume, bro. Oh, wow. That's just... Holy shit, that makes Amy look good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, though, so, we're, we're watching Sorceress, everybody. Yes. That's, that's Sorceress as in female sorcerer, not... Uh, Sorceresses and oh, that's very sorceress of you. Yeah. Oh. With uh, while a team of investigators comb through the wreckage of the plane, another team began the long task of compiling compiling background information on each of the forty four victims. Part of this investigation included finding out what luggage each each passenger was carrying, and then comparing that information with how much of their bags was destroyed. This would narrow the search for the passengers who had the most badly damaged luggage or luggage uh, coated in foreign residue. <laughs> One passenger whose luggage was, luggage was almost destroyed was that of Daisy E. King, a 54-year-old woman from Denver. King, according to the FBI, was carrying several items with her on the plane that were recovered by investigators. Personal letters, a personalized checkbook, $1,000 in traveler's checks, an address list, two keys for safe deposit boxes, and newspaper clippings about her family, including her 23-year-old son, Jack John Jack Gilbert Graham. So, they're going to get into like the you know her relationship with her son and all that kind of stuff. But the guy Hopper's Martha Hop, you know, who was Conrad's like girlfriend at the time. So as they're driving along, right, they're finding silverware and dishes and airline trays. Like, imagine though, one day you're just years later, just milling about, just doing something, and everything. You're like, what's that? And you pull like a fork out of the ground, and you're like. Holy shit. Yep. You know, like, and, and you, you've completely not forgotten about it, but you've pushed this out of your mind. Yep. And then it, that dredges it all back up. Right. And it's just like, like, oh, geez. I mean, that would just, they just drop you to your knees, man. Mm -hmm. And you don't think about that. You like something like that where it's, it's just these everyday items are like silverware just strewn all over the ground. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's like going through a really bad breakup. But for trauma. Yeah. Like, like I, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, it's little things where I, I won't think about breakups I've been through for years, and then it'll just be like, I'll just, like, pepper in my conversation some, like, expression or something that I didn't commonly use until that person. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, shit. Well, mm. I'm in a bad mood now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Boy, I didn't deserve any of that shit. Yeah, it's a, you, sometimes you, you're going through and you, you know, everything's fine. You don't even realize you're doing something. And you maybe grab a book and then like something, like a piece of paper falls out of the book. Mm -hmm. And you're mm -hmm. like, what's this like? Oh, yeah, I remember that. It's like, oh, like, wow, now I got to deal with all these memories, you know. Yep. Like, is yep. that really related to the piece of paper? It's just that that is a trigger that brings back, oh, the yeah, you you know, this you've got this like receipt when you were dating this person here. Yep, yep. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, something like that where it's like you pick up, you pick up a fork and suddenly you have to remember it's like, oh yeah, I spent 16 hours moving dead bodies. Yeah. That's cool. Or, or even like someone, like, <laughs> you know, 
they, you know, it could be 20 years later, you know, your grandkids are out there like playing, you know, in the yard and everything is climbing a tree. It's like, Hey, dad, like there's a spoon in this tree. <laughs> like, Oh God. Like, yep. whoa. Yep. And like those people who you first started the story with, it's like, that, that was mighty damn close to just landing on their house. Yeah. I like, mean, you almost got Donnie Darko'd there. Yeah, I mean, you hear, there's like, you, there's an explosion and you step outside and you see like this flaming wreckage and, and then people are like, oh, hey, when, when they, there's like a fire, you know, like a, a big glow in the distance and everybody in town is going towards that glow and you're like, wow. But I, what I find is fascinating is that if people in town show up there, and they, they clearly identify there was a plane crash here, right? Yep, yep. There is debris. There are bodies. And they're like, okay, this is what we have to do. And you know clearly what you're doing. Like, I'm driving circles around dead bodies to mark them for people to find. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, like, it's the task that takes over and mm-hmm. not the act. Yeah. Like, yeah. my job is to circle around these people, not the fact that I'm driving around a dead body. Like, my job is to circle around this to market for someone else. And then, like, later on, you're like, oh, yeah. I, was, I spent, like, all last night driving circles around dead bodies. Like, yeah. Yeah. whoa. Uh, it's like, that's, that's, that's chilling. Oh, very, very. So, um, the newspaper clippings revealed that, uh, revealed had been, ah, sorry. Quarter. Graham, the newspaper clippings revealed, had been charged with forgery several years earlier and was placed on a most wanted list by the Denver County District Attorney. So this guy hated his mother, obviously, obviously. because he put 25 six of dynamite in her luggage for a plane that only carried like 54 people. And I'm not saying that to be to lightly. I'm just saying like, it, it's not like it was like a huge, like, like, like cargo plane. It wasn't like, like the Spruce Goose or something like that. I mean, right, right. You didn't need that. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, you, you can tell the hatred there because, you know, if, if he just wanted to to be over quickly or look like an accident or whatever, it would have been two sticks. Right. Like, but, if, if he had access to 25 sticks of dynamite, then he had to know enough about dynamite to know, I only need two sticks. Right. But I'll go with 25. <laughs> and there's something really fucked about Tumnus here. But, um... But here's the other part about it, right? So he hated his mother, clearly. But we go back here to says, you know, amongst the items that this woman was carrying, right, were traveler's checks and you know, safe deposit box keys and newspaper clippings about her family, including her son, who in the newspaper clippings revealed that he had been charged with forgery. So she's carrying out newspaper clippings about his crime and him being convicted for forgery. Yeah. So, like, she clearly did not care about him he's just like my son's an asshole and i'm gonna carry around these newspaper clippings <laughs> to show everybody that my son's an asshole while i'm on the road right just in case i meet any interesting strangers i'm gonna tell them about what an absolute cuck he is right like, hey my son's a piece of shit like why <laughs> they, they both clearly did not like each other obviously obviously so the investigation focused on king and her family especially the, the relationship with the son so the son, the FBI learned, was set to receive an inheritance, but the mother and son had argued for years. He had lived with various family members throughout the years and had left home at 16. He later returned to Denver, where his mother had opened a drive-in restaurant and allowed him to run it. But they fought like cats and dogs, it says. Um, and, best, and one witness told investigators that he may have been embezzling money from the business. Of course he was. The other red flags, it says. 
September of 1955, two months before the plane explosion, an explosion damaged a restaurant. Graham blamed it on a disconnected gas line. That same year, his new 1955 Chevy pickup stalled on a railroad track and was struck by a train. He blamed it on bad luck. When asked about his mother's trip on the day of the explosion, he offered little for excuse me, investigators. Um, uh, she was flying to Alaska to visit her daughter, his sister, and he claimed he didn't know what his mother had packed in her, in her luggage, other than shotgun shells and other ammunition for hunting caribou. Right. Um, hmm. Did you just buy the shotgun shells there? But oh, okay, whatever. Okay. Um, um, I don't know. Is, does your mother often carry around dynamite? Nah, I don't know. She's she's you know she's 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 no. We don't really talk that much, but I wouldn't put it past her. She's you know? crazy. I mean, yeah. she could do anything. Yeah, I mean, she was she was you know she was known for carrying like you know about twenty twenty five six dynamite just 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 on her in general. <laughs> you know, she's a big big Bugs Bunny fan. I mean, what? Doesn't your mom do that? Um, just I mean, like. So they also interview this guy's wife. She tells the FBI that uh, yeah, they were married in 1953. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, the parents of two young children. They lived in Lakewood area um, and shared the home with his mother for about a year. She was all uh, said she was unsure what he uh, what she might have packed for the trip, but she did offer an interesting detail. On the day of the crash, Jack was planning to give his mother an early Christmas present. Um, it believed to be a small set of tools. He'd apparently searched all day for the special gift. Um, his wife recalled to the FBI that he brought the package into the house and carried it to the basement where his mother had been packing her luggage. She was unsure whether uh, he had received the package, uh, whether she had received the package, um, but assumed that she did. King finished packing and the family loaded into the, the uh, 1951 Pim- uh, Plymouth and headed across town to the airport. So the day after investigators interviewed him and his wife, they called the couple back. They had received a few tattered pieces of luggage believed to have belonged to his mom. Now they came down and they identified the bag belonged to the mother. They asked, um, told uh, Gloria, his wife, she could leave, but asked her husband to stay behind for a few more questions. With Jack alone, they questioned him about the tool set he reportedly bought for his mother. Why he had made no mention of the gift um, and his wife did. And at the airport, why did he purchase a trip insurance policy for his, in his mother's name? Why did he become sick after a plane took off? So he offered to take a polygraph test and gave the, the permission to search his property. At his home, they found a small roll of copper wire, similar to the type uh, found on a detonating primer cap, inside the, the, um, inside the pocket of one of his shirts. They also found the trip insurance policy he purchased, um, and it was hidden inside a bedroom chest. Hmm. So his story began to unravel. He admitted to causing an explosion at his mother's drive-in and to leaving his Chevy pickup on the trucks of the railroad on the tracks of the railroad track. Uh, his Chevy pickup truck on the railroad track. Um, then he admitted to the explosion of the of the flight. So after all that, he's like, "Okay, I might as well tell you guys. Yeah, I did it. I blew it all <laughs> up. You know, why don't you tell me you did it? Tell me you blew it all up. That's what he wants to hear." didn't blow up everything. I didn't blow up my mom's diner and truck and airplane. Yeah, yeah that was me. I blew up. <laughs> so, he said he built a time bomb with 25 sticks of dynamite purchased in Kremlin, two electric primer caps, a timer, and a six-volt battery. In jailhouse conversation with psychiatrists, he detailed how he slipped the homemade bomb into the mother's suitcase and fastened the luggage. At the airport, um... He dropped off his wife and children and his mother at the terminal and then drove to a parking lot. He set the timer on the bomb to 90 minutes and took the luggage to the airport counter, to, to the counter. 
The suitcase was 37 pounds overweight. Records showed that he paid the $27 fee and that the luggage was then loaded onto the plane. So 37 pounds overweight. I didn't, I don't know how much dynamite weighs, but I guess dynamite, I guess one stick is equal to a pound or something, maybe? I mean, maybe. It was 37 I mean, I pounds overweight. I have to based off of that, yeah. Oh my god, Gimli looks horrible. Um, yeah, this is really bad so far. <laughs> so, like, 25 sticks of dynamite, plus the battery, plus the... So, um... Wow. Uh, how much... This is going to put me on a lunch list. Yeah. How much does a stick of dynamite weigh... Uh, it's about eight inches long, one and a quarter inches in diameter, weighs about half a troy pound. Hmm. Okay, well, since I'm not in, in Greece. 190 grams, if that helps. No! It, uh, produces roughly one megajoule of energy. So, 25 megajoules. Are these chicks twins? I uh, they are. Yes. I noticed that at first because I was looking at their tits and, they, and their, their tits were like different. Looking. Their tits are twins. Yeah. So at the airport, he stopped uh, by a vending machine and, and paid a dollar fifty for the trip insurance policy of uh, thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars. Later on, uh, later on that evening, after my wife and I returned home, he said, uh, uh, "I said." Later on the evening, after my wife and I returned home, Graham said, according to the news, we heard over the radio that all the passengers aboard had been killed. The psychiatrist, though, was still curious, why did he do it? He told the doctors that he that he realized there would be dozens of people on the plane. But the number of people to be killed made no difference to me. It could have been a thousand. When their time comes, there's nothing they can do about it. But my time didn't come. You came. Yeah. Like, my time was not up. You decided that it was okay for me to go. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's like if you're baking cookies and, and you put them in the oven and then I come out and just like drag them out and throw them across the floor and it's like, I mean, what can you do? Not everything you bake turns out right. Like, it would have turned out right if you hadn't fucked it up. Right. <laughs> it's like, man, you don't know how to bake, do you? I'm like, no, I know how to bake just fine. Turns out you're an awful baker. I don't know what to tell you, man. Your cookies are just all over the floor here. And then you and then you walk around telling everybody it was like yeah so this guy was baking cookies he threw them all over the floor and thought they were gonna bake that away like that's not what happened at all <laughs> you did that so the case went to court um, five months after the explosion and of course it didn't take very much time at all so he did not testify none of the defense uh, witnesses refuted the prosecutor's evidence and then of course you know that was that oh no I would want to hear this guy testify. Um, and then of course, it seems like he was, I believe he was hanged. So the judge, the judge sentenced him to be put to death in August of 1956. Execution was delayed once, um, but later affirmed by the Colorado Supreme Court on January 11th, 1957, a little more than 14 months after the explosion. Oh, he was executed in the gas chamber. Whoa. Holy shit. That's intense. <laughs> hmm. The Hop family saw it in the alfalfa. In the years after the explosion, they'd harvest the fields and find a bare spot in the crop. 
It was where a body fell the, to the ground and the alfalfa didn't grow back. They find small oh, items... Oh, that gave me chills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they find small items um, uh, in the dirt. Pins and eyeglasses. Small personal effects that fell with the bodies. Up the road, two engines from the plane stayed buried in the ground for several years. Uh, when one of their cows died shortly after the explosion, they found a hunk of metal lodged inside of it. Jeez. Says his father was a superstitious man, but after the explosion, the longtime farmer refused to wire the fields at night on the east side of the farm where the wreckage landed. Uh, Hop's brother said that they heard ghosts. Hop himself tries not to think about the explosion often. He tries not to think about it, uh, about it if he doesn't have to. Something you just kind of put in the back of your mind. You just want to forget about it. So today the rolling farmlands look about the same as they did in 1955, and Hop can picture where everything happened. He can spot the two trees near where the tra- tail of the plane landed. He can see where he and his brothers took off across the farm towards the wreckage, where he saw the first body strapped into the airplane seat. The land will likely become a subdivision one day. He's seen the neighbor- neighborhoods gradually grow across the area, as they have everywhere else. And he wonders if the people in those homes will know what landed in their backyards. Hmm. I mean, dude, coming across the airplane seat and then there's a body still strapped in it. Yeah, that would fuck me up. <laughs> and the thing is, like, there's, that pro- body was probably completely intact. It probably mm-hmm. showed no signs of, like, distress or injury at all. It's yep. just there sitting in the seat. Just a dead body. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very chilling. And then it's just years later, like I said, just finding just stuff like, oh, here we go. And here's this. And then, oh, our cow died. Oh, well, look what's inside. Like, the, that, oh, man. And you don't think about that kind of stuff. You know, like, things get cleaned up and then all of a sudden they're gone. But, like, they're never gone. Yeah, it's never truly gone. Like, that that's a long shadow to leave. Yeah. That, like, ten years later you still find an eyeglasses and shit. Like, God. So, think about it. So, this happened in 1955, right? Mm-hmm. So... That's what, like, uh, 70 years ago, right? Oh, no, so, I'm sorry, not 70 years ago. The 70, uh, 65 years ago? Yeah. So, 65 years ago, and he's like, you know, there'll probably be a subdivision over here one day. They're going to they, they'll end up building houses on top of this. Imagine that there's a house built on a spot, you know, where this, where this, took, this tragedy took place. And there actually is a a ghost. Yeah. And these people have a ghost in their house. They have absolutely no idea why. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And like they, they, no idea why. And no one can tell them like that. No, there was never a house here. Like we built this house. This is the first. No one's ever lived in here but you. Yep. Like strange yep. things happen. You know, like. At, at night, and it's like, um, like no, it was like we went back, we checked the history of this place and everything. There's been there was a farm that was here for like thirty five years. Mm-hmm. That's it. Let's go back another thirty years beyond that, and be yep. like, oh well, yeah. hey, this is what happened. Like that's like you said, that's a long shadow, man. Like like oh, just oh, God. yeah, that's that's super creepy. Just I mean. And then this guy's like, you know, you know, I don't care about those people. You know, I don't care about none of them. 
It's, it's, it's fun to blow things up with dynamite. It's, you know, it's fun to kill my mom. Like, when your time comes, your time comes. Yeah. Fuck that guy. And the thing is, like, they, they don't really say much about his mom, except the two of them fought all the time, but you were a fuck-up, dude. Yeah. You were a serious fuck-up. It's like, considering you're the type of guy who's like, oh, yeah, no, I'd blow up a thousand people if it convenienced me. Like, okay, well, then you're a piece of shit. No wonder your mom fought with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah as, long as, as long as she died, that's the only thing I really cared about. I was like, yeah, I would have used five more sticks of dynamite if I thought I had to. Like, he didn't say that, but I mean, you know, I mean, but obviously that's the mentality of it. Yeah. Um, like it's it that 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 whole idea, everything about that to me is just so just nuts, man. I mean, yeah, it's bizarre. And and it, the thing is, it doesn't seem to bother him at all, or he just doesn't seem to be affected at all by the fact that. Whatever was going on, like, you clearly were the reason for a lot of this shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, the business failing, I guess the business was, may have been doing fine prior to it, but you're the one that blew it up. Yeah. Why? Oh, well, I guess because you were probably embezzling and you, and you wanted to hide it. Yeah. And then, like, oh, well, let me destroy my car by leaving on the railroad tracks and stuff for a train to hit, which could have killed lots of people. Could have, yeah. I, I think it's, thing is that he had a huge heart on for insurance. That's what I'm gathering from this. I think he was he was a he was a fuck up and he thought the only way to really cover up, you know, to to make things right and cover up it, you know, his incompetence was insurance money. The, yeah, yeah. It's like it, it's the nuclear option for him and it's super convenient. It's like, well, I can get rid of my problem and get a bunch of money at the same time. Sign me up. <clears throat> And it was real easy for him that it's like, oh, hey, I don't want to deal with this business. I've been embezzling from it, but it'd be a lot easier to just get all that money at once. So he blows it up. Yeah. Oh, kind of over this car, the transmission's slipping. Yeah. Hey, kind of over my mom here. You know, so, uh... (laughs) She, mom's kind of a bitch, even though she gave me a business, probably gave me my car. Right. We're living in her house for free, clearly. My wife and two kids, you know, so... Yeah, so, yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and just kill her, too. But, hmm, how to do it? Well, what I'll do is I'll go through this elaborate plan of, like, making a bomb and buying dynamite, doing all stuff and slipping in her luggage. And then, like, that was all planned out. So, it's not even, it's it's not even more like I'm incompetent and I do this stuff. Is it, It's almost like he wants it all. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm working a job. Like, you and I, we work a job. Right. We work a job and we use the money to pay our bills and to, like, you know... Buy things that we that we want. Yeah, yeah. But I can't work today and then buy something I want tomorrow. Right. You right. know, like it does. It's it, it that this, that's not how how it how it tracks. I have to work today and tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and then maybe three months from now I can buy this thing I want. Yep. You yeah. scrimp and save. Or when I'm looking at this eight like this almost nineteen hundred dollar Gypsy Danger statue, right? Like, <laughs> I like. I might work who knows how long and still be like, you know what? I really want this thing. And if I had the money, I'd buy it. But the thing is, I'm never going to have that much money to, to that, not to buy it, but I'm never going to have that much money to where I can say, I feel comfortable enough spending that money on this thing right here. Yeah. You know, it's like, like you can justify it. Right. I keep right. So like I showed you that office chair a couple of weeks ago that you said was the devil's gaming chair. Oh yeah. $4,000. Like I I will never have enough money to be able to go. Yeah. $4,000 for a chair. Sounds pretty good. (laughs) 
You know, um, I was I was talking to somebody and I was like, I mean, when you you and I have had this conversation before about you know rich people and celebrities and things like that, and then, and I'm thinking because I mentioned it to them too, I was like, I'd love to be able to talk to some you know some like wealthy person and and ask them like. When was the last time you like had to stop and check your bank account before by ordering a pizza mm-hmm. or or getting fast food or getting gas in your in your vehicle? Yep, yep. Because I have to do that almost every time. Right. Yeah. You know, even even if I know like I just got paid and and I haven't paid any bills yet, I have to look in there and see. Okay, I know I've got bills to pay. So like, how much it. Let me ask me how much I'm going to have left over so I can know, like, oh, can I buy like, just a personal pan pizza or can I buy like a large and have some leftovers for tomorrow? Right, yeah. right. Those are the kind of decisions I have to make. And, and like, uh, like how many, like, for some of these people, like, when was the last time you did that, that you actually had to check your account first to see, like, I can't imagine what that's like. I Even if I had that kind of money, I still don't think I would ever feel comfortable, like, just right. doing that without saying, okay, let me take a look here. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, and I, I know, like, when I say this, I, I know you and I have, have, have both, like, on a regular basis, you know, have, have looked into, you know, checked our bank accounts and, like, and seen a comma, right? Yeah. yeah. But that comma doesn't stay for very long. No. And I don't think in my lifetime I will ever, and I, I'm not trying to, like, to, to, like, limit myself. But I'm just being realistic. I don't think in my lifetime I would ever, ever look into my bank account and see two commas. Right, right. I can't imagine what it's like to pull up your bank account and like open up the app and, and log in to check and see two commas. Yeah. yeah. What the f- I like that's I can only imagine what that feeling is like. Yeah, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself at that point. You know, like like I, when I got the the uh, insurance money, you know, for the damage and everything in my house, and I saw that in my account, I was I was just like, "Wow!" I was like, "This is the most I've ever had in my account before." Mm-hmm. And I looked and I was like, "It was scary." I mean, it, yeah. it was it was li- literally terrifying to see that in there. I was like, I mean. No part of me was like, "Yoo-hoo, let's go to strip club. I'm going to buy some. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to go buy some heroin. And like, I'm just going crazy. Like, like no, it, it was like I that, that's that's to do repairs and that kind of stuff. But like, but still, just seeing it in there when I'm not used to seeing that, mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of terrifying. Oh yeah, yeah. And and, and it's like it's like this is not the norm. You right, know, it's like right. wow. But I can't imagine that. And then, but you know. Going, going back to all this is like things that we want even when we have the ability to get it it's like can I justify it mm-hmm. is this a a solid reasonable purchase and we know that that's something that you know we have to kind of save up for even yeah. when you put up on my camera man like what did I talk about getting that camera for like two years mm-hmm. before I actually bought it? And then, even then, when I went to buy it, there was some hesitation. Like, I knew this is what I was going to do. I had set aside. I had been planning for months. They are like, I'm going to buy this camera X. I'm going to do it here. And it was like, this is going to be a good purchase for us. Yeah, yeah. 
I still had some hesitation when I ordered that thing, man. Like, oh, totally, totally. Because I'm like, this is like, this is a, a good chunk of money, and like, there's so much other stuff I could do with this money. And and it took me, you know, it took me some time to be able to save that up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then you take an asshole like this guy right here, which again, I'm assuming a lot. But you take someone like him, and you're oh, like, I mean, he blew up a plane with 40 people. <laughs> He's an asshole, right? <laughs> To kill his mom and I guess to get the insurance money, you know, well, obviously get the insurance money because he was like, oh, let me go ahead and buy this thing here. And I was like, it's like, I, you know, you sure you want to gamble on insurance, honey? Trust me, this isn't a gamble. <laughs> <laughs> this is a sure thing. <laughs> is that life insurance? Just get your ass in the car. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I mean, for him, it was like, oh, well, you know, insurance will take care of it. Like, I don't know what, what kind of debt he was in or why he was doing this, but whatever yeah, it is, yeah. like. Insurance will take care of it. Yeah, yeah, like, what series of events just led that to being his catch-all solution for everything? Hmm. Like, I don't want this, I'm going to blow it up. Right. It's like, yeah, I, I understand, you know, and I've said before, I can I can take the nuclear option on occasion. I understand just, like, shutting people out of my life. I, I can understand, like, pulling away, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But But being to the point where it's like, this pisses me off. I'm going to literally explode it. Right. Never been there. No. I mean, I've I've been I've been destructive. I I can understand like you know you're working with like tools. You get pissed off. You throw the hammer. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Like you know we we've all we've all had that like Kyle punches the drywall kind of moments, but never has it been to the point where it's like time to break out the dynamite. <laughs> yeah. I mean. And, you know, for this guy here, the fuck nugget that he is, sure, okay, he's arguing with his mom all the time, right? They're always fighting. Like, they, the two of them didn't get along. Well, you knew that way back when you left home at age 16. Yep. There was an inheritance that you weren't getting, and and clearly I can see why. Right. Because if you're the kind of person that would do what you did, if you had gotten that money, you would have blown through it, and then, more than likely, you would have ended it up right back where you were. Mm-hmm. The, so, like, nothing would have changed with your lifestyle. And, unfortunately, nothing would have changed with the with the poor and fortunate victims either. Right, right. More than likely, they would have ended up, you know, well, not, they would have, but the, the same kind of thing would have happened because you wouldn't have changed. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, and so, like, he, he's arguing with his mother and they, they just don't get along, all that kind of stuff. But the thing about that, for me, is... Now, no time, as far as we know, did he ever think and say, hey, you know what? Um, she started her own business and then allowed me to come work at it. And I kind of embezzled from it and then blew it all up because I suck. And uh, she and I are fighting all the time, but I didn't move into her house with my wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so if if living with her is so bad... If she's such a horrible person, maybe, maybe I need to get a, a job working for someone else. Maybe I need to move up out of her house. Like, right. If you didn't think it through to be able to like, oh, these are things I need to do to get away from this, then you really are just a piece of shit. Yeah, totally, you know? totally. And it's really obvious that he's a piece of shit because the solution that he's so fond of to all of his problems, he's he doesn't once think about how this affects other people. No. And like... Even looking at blowing up the restaurant, destroying his car, like, all that shit that affects other people. 
it's like that, like, what, what if, what if one of your restaurant employees were there in the restaurant when you blew it up? Yeah. He, he doesn't give a fuck. What, what if the train hit your tr- your car and then derailed? Yep. Yeah. No. No. As, as long as my, my car got destroyed by a train and then I can go ahead and get insurance money, that's the only thing I'm really concerned with. Yeah. It's like, I mean, just someone like that, they'll, they'll never contribute to society. They're never gonna be a good person. No. This, this is like, and this is why I've never subscribed to like, well, everybody deserves a second chance. No. Most no. people deserve a second chance. Some people are irredeemable pieces of shit. And we might as well just, like, put them out of our misery now. It's like, it's like, a, like you and I, talk, and I think we were talking about this on the podcast, like, people like, tell them to deserve a second chance. Like, you didn't even deserve a first chance. Right. Like, right. I didn't have to give you a chance at all. I could have just kept you completely out of my life. Just like everybody else, you could have just been another person that I don't never knew existed at all. Like, there's no reason why I had to even like recognize you as a living being. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that I did that, right? If things go sour, and I decide that it's worth giving you a second chance, okay. But I never even had to acknowledge that you existed in the first place. Yep. Yep. And this guy, I mean, like, and it's like, you know, didn't matter how many people and everything, like, when their time comes, like, their time didn't come. Like, they had the poor, they had the, the poor misfortune of, like, living in the same time period as you. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the situations where I think the punishment should have fit the crime and been like, okay, so, uh, we're not going to waste 25 sticks of dynamite, but we're going to take two. We're going to strap one to your back. And I strap to your back, and we're going to set and light them, and we're going to blow the fuck out of you. Like, that's yep. it. I mean, just, I mean, or, you know, what we should, what you would do is, like, you know, tie his hands and feet together, put a stick of dynamite, you know, like, strap it to his chest, light it, throw his ass out of an airplane. Yes. Right? And, and be like, you know, if you're lucky... The dynamite explode and kill you before you hit the ground. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll just maim you, and then you'll hit the ground and then die that way. Give him all the terror <laughs> of falling to his death before blowing up. Right. So, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, okay, is it cruel? Yes. Is it deserving? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, if it's deserving, may not be that cruel after all. <laughs> I mean, does, like, does the punishment fit the crime? Oh, hell yeah. Right. I mean, like, dropping a lobster into, like, boiling water, that's cruel. Yeah. You yeah. know, is it necessary? Unfortunately, if you want to eat lobster, it is. Did he deserve it? Not really. Right. <laughs> I mean, that damn, you know, like, a damn ocean roach or whatever you want to call it and everything. <laughs> like, like, but, but hey, you know, you know I, I it, like to think the lobster at least would understand. It was necessary. <laughs> He's like, oh no, well, I am delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do understand that it is the only way that you can eat me and not die. Smother <laughs> myself with butter, I'd take a bite out of myself. <laughs> this is the way Pinchy would want it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying, I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. And the so, uh, gas chamber, what do you know about the gas chamber? Not much as far as the American uh, judicial system goes for execution. I know that, like, it's now completely illegal. Like, mm-hmm. there are, the, like, I think roughly half of our states still do the death penalty, and it's, like, almost exclusively lethal injection. Well, I, my question is, like, what kind of gas do they use? Was it, like, a, like a, like a paralyzing thing, or, like, 
I would imagine it's Nazi gas, but I don't know. Well, I'm just curious as if, um, like, like, is, is it painful? Do they, like, start, like, convulsing and stuff? And then, like, foaming at the mouth and, you know. Let's see. What did America use in death row gas chambers? Because of when, why the gas chamber? Why a gas chamber? You know, I, I don't... I, there's there's a lot about the death penalty in America that does not make sense to me. I've seen... Oh, shit. Hydrogen cyanide. Oh, wow. That's... That's that's holy, painful. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, as implemented in the United States, the gas chamber is considered to be the most dangerous, most complicated, most time-consuming, and most expensive method of administering the death penalty. How do you... How do you vent that out afterwards? I don't know. Oh god, these things are haunting to look at. I don't, <laughs> I don't like this. What are you looking at? Like, uh, they have a picture of one at the New Mexico State Penitentiary in 1960, and maybe it's because they're using a fisheye lens, but it just it looks very okay. chilling. Now, granted, if if you if you're getting a death penalty, then more than likely you have done a crime that is just irredeemable. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's why they did it is because it's like that shit's heinous. What, what I was gonna say is. You're in, you're in that box, that airtight box there, strapped to a chair. Like, mm-hmm. that part is like, I, like, wow. Like, again, you, you brought this on yourself for the most part. Yeah, you know? yeah. You brought this on yourself, but still strapping somebody down and then like, like, okay, here you go. I'm like, why not just shoot me? I mean, why not just shoot me? Yeah, like, and, and it can be done and over with. And- or, or, or hang me. Or it's like, like, you know, like, well, why, why that method? That just seems Overly cruel. Yeah, and it's like, but yeah. at the same time, it's like then I think about you know Throw me off a cliff or something. Shit. Yeah, but then but then you know I think about like the butterfly effect type thing of you know forty two people was it? A uh, forty four. Forty four people, and it's like those those people have family members. They've they've got like there there's there's some people who had kids who weren't on that flight who like not now those kids are growing up without parents. And then don't forget the thirteen month old. Yep. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, a 13-month-old, that that kid could have, I mean, yeah, granted, that kid could have grown up to be as big a piece of shit as that guy, but the kid also could have grown up to discover the cure for cancer. Yeah. You don't, you don't freaking know. So, so I'm sorry, did, so did, did, did the 13-month-old time come? Is that, is that, is that what you're trying to tell me? That his time had come? Like, yeah, like, what a see you next Tuesday answer. I, yeah, it's very much like, so. It's not a whole lot out there that makes me just want to kick somebody right in the fucking face, but that sure does. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, I I have a lot of mixed feelings about the death penalty, and that's that's probably pretty heavy for, for this podcast. But I have, I have a lot of mixed feelings because, you know, it's like, there have been innocent people on death row. Mm-hmm. And and they've realized years later, it's like, oops, we fucked up. And so then you've got to start asking the question of like, well, how many times do we have to do that before we start realizing, wait a minute, the this isn't a foolproof system here. This isn't a flawless system. Right. Then I see people like this guy. Right. <laughs> I see people like the Night Stalker, who, like, okay, well, on whatever nights I'm not murdering people, I'm going to rape children. Just just to unwind. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so then it's like, then I see stuff like that, and it's like, oh, shit, well, the gas chamber's merciful. <laughs> but here's the thing. Okay, so the gas chamber's like that. How how different would that be is, since it's airtight anyway, right, is instead of... um. Instead of that, if you just pumped water into it. Yeah. Strapped to a chair, like, okay. It's like, 
A gas chamber or drowning? Like, Well, death by drowning, that'd be interesting. I mean, is it really any worse than the gas chamber? No, I mean, drowning terrifies me. I love the water and love swimming, but drowning terrifies me. Especially if you're sitting there in a chair and you're strapped to it, mm-hmm. and they're just pumping water in it, slowly filling up, um, like... And you're like, okay, well, because in both cases, eventually, I have to draw a breath. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, it's going to be the last breath I ever draw. Well, in the gas chamber, it's going to be the last breath you ever draw. In the in the the like death by drowning, it's well, you're not going to be drawing a breath, right. you know. But I mean, you're going to try, right? It's so. Oh god, the gas is visible to the condemned, who is advised to take several deep breaths to speed unconsciousness. Nonetheless, the condemned person often convulses and drools and may also urinate, defecate, and vomit. Oh, well, I'm just going to happen anyway, because when you die, your, your bowels release. Oh, here you go. Um, after execution, the chamber is purged with air, and any remnant gas is neutralized with anhydrous ammonia. Afterwards, the body can be removed with great caution, as well, pockets can... of gas can be kept in the victim's clothing. Right. Or possibly in their lungs still. Yeah. I think that would probably be the moment where it's, like, getting into the realm of, like, unnecessarily cruel, where it's just like, this is going to happen, you're going to see it, I recommend you just breathe faster. Yeah, and they're like, but here's the thing, like, I don't want to be here! It's like, <laughs> it's like, like, you know, if you just breathe faster, get it over with. <laughs> and, you, and you know what, what, is really, what is really disturbing about this, right, mm-hmm. is if, like... The night before my execution, I say my execution, the night before someone's execution, right? If they try to commit suicide, they would save their life. Yep. Just so they can execute the night. No, 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 no. Don't take this away from me. How dare you? How dare you? You die when I say you die. You son of a bitch. You wake up. Beat you with a rubber hose. I mean, like, come on. Like, why? Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's got to be my way. <laughs> why not take that same airtight uh, chamber and then just just pull all the air out? Uh, that That's actually listed in the death penalty thing. There's, like, death by asphyxiation for some death penalty stuff. And that's what they're saying. It's like, death by gas chamber is expensive. It's way more painful for the prisoner. It's it's way more dangerous for the executioners. Yeah. It's like, it's it's bad on pretty much every front. I'm actually looking at hydrogen cyanide now. Seeing if there's any, uh, any more interesting information about that. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, uh, uh, I say aerosol, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a uh, airborne, uh, damn, I can't find the fucking words right now. But yeah, it's just basically a form of cyanide that's it's breathed in as opposed to like a pill or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know? It has a really low boiling point. It boils slightly above room temperature. It's 79 Fahrenheit. Hmm. And apparently the way they do it in the gas chamber is they actually feed the cyanide pellets into acid that's underneath the chair. And then it just makes it all billow out into the hydrogen cyanide smoke reaction. Right, and I'm sure it's probably got maybe like a yellowish tint to it. Yep, yep. But yeah, actually, I mean, no, it's saying it's colorless, so I guess it'd be like white smoke, but of course it's got that almondy smell. Yeah, it's got cyanide, yeah. <laughs> Applications, occurrence, or as poison and chemical weapon. Oh, the French used it in World War One. Mustard gas? Yeah. I didn't realize that 
That was the French, though. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's the French, man. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. They, they probably are trying to find some kind of way of, like, making food with, like, you know, like, what if we take mustard seed and they, <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, we created a terrible gas. And <laughs> Wait a minute. Um. Um. A hydrogen cyanide concentration of 100 to 200 ppm and breathing air will kill a human within 10 to 60 minutes. It could take 60 minutes to kill somebody in the gas chamber. 16, holy shit. Between 10 to 16, 10 to 60 minutes. Yeah, so it's like, this, this could be over real fast. Oh, well, here we go. With a higher concentration of about 2,000 ppm, uh, that will kill a human in about one minute. So maybe they're, maybe they're condensing it a lot more. Uh, I think it was Gary Gilmore that uh, requested and I think like petitioned um, to be uh, he wanted Death by Firing Squad. Hmm. Death by Firing Squad is one I don't think that mind, but it's one I don't mind, provided that you know that you do have an expert marksman and that nothing goes wrong. Yeah, Um, because it says as I as I understand it, you have like five or ten people or whatever. Mm And only one of them has a live round. Yep, yep. You know, so as long as long as one of you doesn't try to be like cute and be like, "I'm going to shoot him in the stomach," <laughs> and be like, "It's like hey, shit." I was at the live round. Damn it! This would be funny. <laughs> um, and I think it used to be with the electric chair. Uh, the chair, like if you if you try, if like if they flip the switch and the person was still alive, and they flip it again, and then like if you were still alive after a third time, you're like, okay, well. We're gonna let you go. You did your time. Yeah, I'm, I'm all fucked up now. Like I look like damn Harvey Dent. Like half my body's burned <laughs> on one side. You know, it's like, and I can't remember anything after like a third grade. But I appreciate you letting me go. I mean, I mean, hanging. I think is still a good one, right? Hanging makes sense to me. I think that one's been outlawed in the U.S. as well. I, I think, I think pretty much everything has been outlawed in the U.S. except lethal injection. Lethal injection is, I mean, they try to make it seem like it's so peaceful and everything, which, you know, the only thing I feel comfortable about, about, um, death, the death senses being peaceful are, like you said, for the people that, uh, are on death row that are going to be executed that may not be guilty, but they just weren't able to, to, like, clear their names. Yeah, yeah. So, since you are unfortunately going to die, you know, for because of something that you know, you didn't do or, or whatever, um, then it being painless, quick and painless. Yeah. You know, it. I mean, obviously, being alive would be better, but you know, if that's the way it is, then you know, quick, and pain, quick and painless would be the 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 thing. But lethal injection is not quick and painless. No. I mean, they they there's three chemicals that are. Pumped in there, they're pumped into you, into the person intravenously, and one of them is a um, is a uh, something that uh, like relaxes the muscles and everything. So like your heart stops beating, your lungs stop beating. But while people don't see that because your muscles aren't reacting, you are choking to death, mm-hmm. and you can't do anything about it. You can't signal. You can't do anything. You were that person is so they're supposed to like put him to sleep first and then like stop the heart and then you know that but I'm like but that's like that's still extremely painful and extremely oh, yeah. traumatic yeah 
Like, obviously, like, you will never know because that person's gonna die, but shit, you might as well have just fucking stoned them. Yeah, yeah. There we go. That's what we need to bring back. Death by stoning. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be down with that. Make it a little public event. I mean, I do do think we should do that for, like, pedophiles, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, So, I hope you're listening, Chris Hansen. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, there's something I gotta tell you. (laughs) My crew has to stone you now. (laughs) They'll come up with rocks. I'd watch that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we need to, like, you know, stake people out in the desert or draw and quarter them or, you know, like, Vlad Tepe's them. Nothing, nothing like that. Or, well, like, cut, cover them in honey and feed them to, to ants. Yeah. Yeah, so, kind of slightly off the subject here, but the other day I was driving uh, along the road and I saw these, um, I'm thinking they were vultures. I don't think they were buzzards, right? But, um, and they were eating something, and normally you would see something like that, them eating something large, like, you know, like maybe a deer or something. Mm-hmm. But whatever it was, it was small because it wasn't it wasn't in the road. You couldn't see it. But there were like maybe four or five of them there, and they were they just having a good meal, little meal of them. And, um, and I was like, okay, word. And then I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? Vultures and buzzards, like, I don't... They're, they're predators, aren't they? The scavengers. Okay, scavengers. Yeah. Because I was like, I, cause I don't have a fear of them. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, if you were like out somewhere and you saw one, you wouldn't have to worry about them attacking you. Yeah, yeah. Because they're only, I mean, now if, if your death was imminent and they could sense like death on you, which they, they can, like, then you might have to worry about it. But even still, they're, they're, the most they're gonna do is like, is, like if you're staked out somewhere, they're like, "Oh, you're almost dead." Let me just nip at you and see. Like, are you, are you ripe yet? Nope, not yet. Okay, fine. You good, you buddy. Know. But other than that, man, I mean, like they're like they're not going to bother you as long as you're alive. Like you are of no use to them. Yep. I'm like, okay, that's that's fine. Yeah. Um. My favorite bird is actually the bearded vulture. Really? Yeah, the labrador. They're uh, they they eat bones exclusively. Really? Yeah, they're awesome, and they they look so friggin' heavy metal. They're awesome. Yeah, I, I guess they they break them up with their beaks or whatever. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, which I guess they get all the nutrition from like the marrow and the bones or something. But yep, they're they are bone eaters. Even the women. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming so. All right. <laughs> giggity giggity. So this, this, we're talking about torture and death and anything. Yeah, talking about weird means of execution. Like, the, like, what? So it looks like they oiled up the pole, and I guess they're basically telling him that if he hits the ground, he's going to die or something? Well, no, no, no. Or are they there, going to set it on there's, fire? There's a spike pole right there. Oh. That he's sliding down. He's ah. trying to slide. He's going to slide, and it's going to go right up his rectum and, you know... <laughs> Which I'm like, oh, this is something that they clearly just made up for the movie. This is something that they did back then because, <laughs> and then just sitting around watching as a spectator, like, dude, 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 like, just kill me, dude. I mean, like, if, if the whole point of it just to, is to like watch me die, then just, just kill me, like, just. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says oh, here man. to my brother Bud, the only man I ever loved, Bill. <laughs> Well, we are like a little over an hour into it. Anyway, I just, I, 
I, that hit me because I wanted to talk about it at the time and I and we didn't the whole the whole thing with the the flight and it was just like yeah you you hear about stuff like that and you don't really think about like the aftermath of it or even what the scene looks like for other people and just like mm-hmm. and then just like the 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 indomitable spirit of like a human being to where like here's something that is extremely tragic but everybody just comes in just does their job and he said he like from they're sitting down to eat dinner, mm-hmm. right? Something happens. He goes out to the field and then it's just doing, just helping in any way you can. Yep. yep. His girlfriend goes to school. If he can say, goes to school the next day. Yep. You know, and it's like, it just got to keep on going. And then he's like, yeah, man, you're just doing all stuff. And it's not until afterwards you stop and you think about what it is that you were doing like all last night. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, this is a job that has to be done. And. And I did it. And, and like, like, hell of a shout out to that community. Like, that entire town came together. It was like, we're going to do whatever we can to help. That's, that's fucking spectacular. And, you know, they talked about, he said the, the one body landed into, like, the, the, the hay bale. Mm-hmm. And he you know, pitchforked through it to get the body out. So, that had to be a very slow, meticulous thing mm-hmm. to just kind of start from the top or from the side and just slowly... Not large, big, because you don't want to end up jabbing the body with the yep. pitchfork. Yep. Like, oh, man, just, you Like, know. that's the one guy who would have survived? It's like, thank God I landed in this hay bale splunch. I remember, so, um, there's the, was it the, uh, Flight 410 or something like that? It's the one I've got the, the I bought the book of upstairs, um, uh, it's the, it's the one that they, there was the, the ghost, um, supposed to be, you know what I'm talking about? Not ringing a bell right off, no. Oh, okay, all right. So I got I got to pull something up for you then because it's um it, it's an interesting story. So I found out about it um in like the the kind of a weird way, which was there was a movie I ended up watching. Um, it was a movie made with Ernest Borgnine. Okay, and um and I, I love Ernest Borgnine. Um, uh, so there's a movie made with him in it, and then. I don't know, maybe a couple months or, uh, I mean, a couple of weeks or a month later, I was watching another movie, and I was like, hey, like, this, this seems kind of like the movie I watched before, but this one had William Shatner in it. <laughs> and I was like, huh. And I was like, okay, that's different. Um, and I was like, okay. Um, and then I realized they were related. Uh, uh-huh. So. Okay. All right. So the movie in this IMDb, let's see if I can pull up on Wikipedia, because uh, I think Wikipedia is like the, is like the be all end all or anything, but um, they're pretty but convenient. Some, sometimes you get like some additional like context around things that you don't before, yeah, uh, or you know, that you don't with other things. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I know Wikipedia is not like flawless, but I think they could have a lot of unnecessary hate. I do too, and it's it's mostly from like disenfranchised boomers who were like, well, back in my day, I had to go to the library. Like, well, you know, it's because it's uh, Wikipedia is you know is is written by you know anybody, anybody can write. It's like, no, not anybody can write. You have to, you know, you have to be like approved to do all this stuff and and citations and all that kind of stuff. So, but anyway, like, you know, funny thing about books is anybody can write books too. Right, anybody can write an article or something. Uh, and and it's the nowadays, which I I can't really say I'm, I'm happy with. Like newspapers will have these articles they'll write, and if you're not careful, it'll you and look and say 
it'll say opinion opinion or, piece yeah. right or yeah it's like it's like oh well i'm thinking this is fact but it's like, i missed part was like it's just an opinion piece and don't don't put that in the fucking newspaper you know yeah yeah so all right so here we are um the ghost this i'm reading about the movie from 1978 the ghost of flight 401 um the summary is an aircraft crashes in the florida everglades killing 103 p- passengers after the wreckage is removed salvageable part salvageable parts from the plane are used to repair other aircraft Soon, passengers and crew on the aircraft report seeing what they believe to be the ghost of their wrecked airplane's flight engineer. Hmm. Okay. So, and this is the, the true story, like the the whole like the the, the plane crashing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, Ernest Borgnine is in this movie here, The Ghost of Flight Four Hundred One. Mm-hmm. There is another movie which is um, which is has uh, William Shatner in it, and see. Is it this one here? Yes. So the other movie is called Crash, The Crash of Flight 401. All right. Okay. So the cra- crash is about the actual plane crash. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So the, um, it has uh, Adrian Barbeau in it too. Oh. So on December 29, 1972, Eastern Airline Flight 401 crashed into the Florida Everglades, resulting in 101 fatalities. Um, so, uh, so here, um, just got some trivia and stuff. Uh, I'm just going to read through real quick. Says here that uh, Bob Crane was originally supposed to be in it, um, uh, but was murdered before the movie could start. Uh, okay, it doesn't really tell you anything about. It. So, but this movie is all about the um, about the actual crash and the um, and the uh, you know kind of the people trying to. Uh, like rescue the uh, rescue the, the the pastures and stuff like that because it it crashed in the Everglades. Yeah, yeah. So I remember watching um, this movie, and there was a scene in the movie that I found be like just it was it was kind of chilling. It was like horrifying, right? Um, there is a uh, they're out there and they're in the um. They're in the uh, swamp boats mm-hmm. going there, and so it's in the Everglades. So you know what you have in the Everglades? Alligators. Alligators. You got a plane that crashed, and it crashed like right before like the runway. So it wasn't too far off from the airport, right? right. Um, and I wish that this kind of kind of went into a little more detail about the actual thing, but um, but I, I can pull it up and, and read from it, the actual crash itself. But um, but anyway, the uh, oh, so Ron Glass. Who played uh, Shepherd Book and uh, and uh, Firefly? Mm-hmm. He was in it. He's the character I remember. He his character is strapped in the seat, and um, and the swamp boat is going by. He's screaming for help, and he's strapped in the seat. And I don't understand. Remember what was the deal? What why he couldn't get out? But he's strapped in the in the seat, kind of like what they talked about there. And he's sinking into the swamp. Oh, jeez. And he's screaming for help, but they can't hear him over the boats. And they're kind of like drive, like going right past him. Ugh. And it's like, whoa, jeez whiz. Oh, man. So apparently, apparently, um, this plane crashed and they salvaged parts from the plane crash. And then they used them to repair other planes. They say that that never happened. That they don't use salvage parts from plane crashes and stuff like that. Um, and I've kind of heard two accounts. One is that they were salvaged parts. The other was that... Whatever caused the plane to crash was a mechanical failure, and that the ghost 
of the pilot and the ghost of the engineer appeared on the on the flights of uh, similar of the same type of plane. Yeah. To try to warn them about what it was. Interesting. So, yeah, it's. Uh, so, okay, according to this here, and I'm looking at the trivia, this is going back to the Ghost of Flight 401 on uh, IMDb, uh, IMDb. Yeah. Stories based in, uh, in real reports of ghost sightings on several planes that salvaged um, Flight 401 equipment on them. Uh, see, the L1011 used by the APA International Air in Dominican had some of the parts recovered from the plane. Reports of sightings of the captain's ghost were, were submitted by various personnel on the plane on various occasions. It says here, based on the book that claimed to have a, been a true story, however, it has since emerged that almost no equipment from Flight 401 was salvaged for use on other planes, and no airline personnel ever admitted to having seen the ghost. In the book, it's claimed that all personnel spoke under condition of anonymity, making their stories impossible to verify one way or the other. Even retired personnel who have nothing to lose say that there are, were no sightings. At one point, the airline considered suing the publisher but decided against it as it would create too much publicity. Is now felt the story is almost completely fabricated and no ghost was ever seen. But even if I'm retired, right, I still have a pension that mm-hmm. can be taken away or I have a reputation, you know, so... Um, you know, you know how I feel about ghosts and that kind of stuff anyway, right, but, right. um, anyway, uh, it's, uh, so it, it's just actually, uh, Kim Basinger's debut. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of it. So. Yeah, it's um, and like I ended up discovering it strictly by accident because I ended up watching both movies or parts of both movies, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, there's like there's a connection between the two of these." Yeah. Um, so like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, very. Um, but it's like, wow. Um, so I'm actually gonna see if I can pull up the actual. You know, I don't want to make this entire episode about plane crashes because that's <laughs> that's not really entertaining at all. Um, but the uh. Uh, but just kind of give a little bit more um, context of like the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, all right, so. Wikipedia here. Mm-hmm. Eastern Airlines Flight 401 was a scheduled flight from New York to J- uh, New York JFK to Miami. Shortly before midnight, December 29, 1972, the Lockheed L-1011-1 TriStar crashed into the Florida Everglades, causing 101 fatalities. All three cockpit crew members, two of the 10 flight attendants, and 96 of the 163 passengers were killed. There were 75 survivors. The crash occurred while the entire cockpit crew was preoccupied with a burnt-out landing gear indicator light. They failed to notice that the autopilot inadvertently been disconnected, and as a result, the aircraft gradually lost altitude and crashed. This was the first fatal crash of a wide-body aircraft. It was also the first uh, hull loss and first fatal, fatal crash of a Lockheed, of, hmm. the, of a Lockheed L-1011. Um, yeah. Um, so, see, the flight um, routine... Sorry, uh... So, the flight was routine flight. Um, 
First officer stock still noticed that the landing gear indicator, a green light in, uh, identifying that the nose gear is properly locked in the down position, had not illuminated. This was later discovered to be due to a burnt out light bulb. The landing gear could have been manually lowered nonetheless. The pilot cycled the landing gear but still failed to get the confirmation light. Um, so Loft was working the radio during this, the, the leg of the flight, told the tower that they would discontinue their approach to the airport and requested to enter a holding pattern. So they were, um, said they, uh, so the, the flight was routine when the plane began its approach to the to the um, Miami International Airport. So they were in the process of trying to land, but the light wasn't coming on to show that the landing gear was down. So then they kind of tried to circle back around to get the landing gear. So they crashed in the Everglades just right outside of the landing strip. Yeah. That yeah. was part of the reason why they were able to save so many people because, like, they were right there. So you've got all the rescue crew right there at the airport and everything. They were to get to the scene like right away. Mm-hmm. Plus they were like, they're watching this thing come in and then like, you know, bang. <laughs> so the copy removed the, uh, the light assembly. The second officer was dispatched to the, uh, avionics bay beneath the flight deck to check the porthole. And then of course the, this dropping, the plane's dropping. And then, um, and the next thing you know, yeah, it was, uh, it was down. Yeah. See, the TriStars, um, let's see, the location was, was west-northwest of Miami, 18.7 uh, miles from the end of the runway. The plane was traveling at 227 miles per hour. <clears throat> when it hit the ground with the aircraft in mid-turn, the left wing tip hit the surface first, then the, then the left engine, then the left landing gear, making three trails through the sawgrass, each five feet wide over 100 feet long. When the main part of the fuselage hit the ground, it continued to move through the grass and water, breaking up as it went. So the outer wing structure struck the ground first, followed by the number one engine, and then the port main undercarriage, the simulation of aircraft that follows scattered wreckage over an area of 1,600 feet and about 330 feet um, wide in a southwesterly direction. Only small fragments of metal marked the wingtip's first contact, followed by 49 feet uh, further on three massive uh, 115 feet swaths cut through mud and sawgrass. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 400 feet uh, from the wing's tip, initial contact with the ground, the massive fuselage began to break up, scattering components from the underfloor galley, the cargo compartments in the cabin interior. At 820 feet along the wreckage trail, the outer section of the starboard engine wing tore off, gouging a 59-foot-long crater in the soft ground as they did so. From this point on, the breakup of the fuselage became more extensive, scattering metal fragments, cabin fittings, and passenger seats widely. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I'm not going to try to get into all the, you know, the big details and stuff, but yeah, um, so, uh, the number two engine continued to deliver thrust during the actual breakup, so it's still pushing the plane forward. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that would make it better or worse. Worse, definitely worse. Said no complete cross section of the cabin of the passenger cabin remained, and both the wing port wing and tail pl- uh, plane were demolished to fragments. And congruously, not far from the roofless fuselage center section, with the inner portion of the starboard wing still attached by uh, lay a large, under uh, undamaged and fully inflated rubber dinghy, one of the one of a number carried on the TriStar in the event of emergency water landing. It's always weird how when they have these kind of like accents like that, the things that come through unscathed. Yeah. It's like, that's like, what? That's just weird. Yeah, very. Um, it says, in all 75 survived the crash. 
Despite their own injuries, the surviving flight attendants were credited with helping other survivors uh, and quickly, quick, and several quick-thinking actions, such as warning survivors of the danger of striking matches uh, due to fuel jet fuel in the swamp water, seeing Christmas carols to keep up hope and draw the rescue team's attention, as flashers, flashlights were not part of the standard equipment on commercial airlines at the time. Of the cockpit crew, only the uh, flight engineer Repo survived the initial crash, um, and then a couple others that get died later. Um, but yeah, so they're... Um, Let's see here. Donato, the lone survivor of the four-hour flight deck crew, recovered from his injuries. The guy uh, was awoken by the call. So a probable crash, he immediately drove to Miami's Web Eastern's Miami offices and decided to charter a helicopter to the crash site. As the swampy terrain made a rescue um, difficult, and Eastern Airlines had not heard any of the news progress in the air rescue efforts, he was able to land in a swampy patch of grass and coordinate rescue efforts. He accompanied three survivors on the air on the helicopter to the hospital and uh, all that. Hmm. Uh, most of the dead passengers uh, in the aircraft's midsection, the swamp absorbed much of the energy of the crash, lessening the impact of the aircraft. The mud of the Everglades may have blocked wounds uh, sustained by passengers, preventing them from bleeding to death. However, it also complicated the survivors' recuperation as organisms in the swamp caused infection and the potential for gas gangrene. Eight passengers became infected and that stuff. All the survivors were injured. Um, 60 received serious injuries, 17 minor injuries. Um, wow. 14 had various degrees of burn. Wow. Like... That is crazy. And, of course, it happened in the middle of the night in the Everglades, so you can't see shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, they, like, they were saying, like, they were, like, you know, singing songs to help, like, you know, help them find them. And just, oof. Yeah, the, that's wild. The <laughs> final NTSB report cited the cause of the crash is pilot error, specifically the failure, failure of the flight crew to monitor the flight instruments during the final four minutes of flight. Hmm. You would think they would know to, to keep monitoring those instruments. I guess they're, they're still preoccupied with like the landing gear being because if it's not down, they can't land. Yeah. And of course, you're low on fuel and stuff like that, and you're like, and and you're right there. You're like at that point, it's like you're probably only thinking about the flight's almost over. Flight's almost over. You know, n- not to be grim, but you know, it's yeah, and, yeah. No, I I understand. Huh. Uh. So I'm looking at that thing about the the uh, about the um, about the the book story of the crash and its aftermath were documented in John D. Fuller's 1976 book, The Flight Ghost of Flight 401. He recounts stories of paranormal events aboard other planes and the belief that they were caused by equipment salvaged from the wreckage of the flight. Um, based on Fuller's book, it focused on the ghost sightings surrounding the aftermath. On his 1979 album Three Hearts, musician Bob Welch also recorded a song titled "The Ghost of Flight 401." Uh, Eastern Airlines CEO and former Apollo astronaut Frank Borman called the ghost stories surrounding the crash garbage. Eastern considered suing for libel, like we just maybe talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Robert J. Serling's uh, 1980 book, From the Captain to the Colonel, an informal history of Eastern Airlines, they claimed that the wreckage from 401 was installed and later removed from other plants was false. And no Eastern Air employees ever claimed to have seen or believed in the alleged ghost sightings. Skeptic Brian Dunning claims that the origin for the ghost sightings was a joke made by an Eastern Airlines captain after an emergency landing, which he quipped that he thought that Don Repo's ghost was on the plane. 
That's, how's that a joke? It's a stupid joke. Man, Phil. Get a better sense of humor. Yeah, read a room, dude. So. Yeah, um. But it's interesting. Um, yeah, it is very interesting. So actually, when I was at the used bookstore not too long ago, well, it's been a couple months now, and I saw that book, and the book just jumped out at me. It's like, hey, I know that. I know <laughs> that book. And I was like, hey. So I, I bought it. Nice. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, it just kind of just one of those things, and it's just, but kind of like hearing about that, and they just, not that you want to think about something that is just that, traumatic i mean it, it is that's this that traumatic just like surviving something like that and then just like this is this is what that is just like ugh. yeah ah just wow yeah that is that is definitely a lot you know that's one of those things where you know even though i've obviously shared this with with people now but you you hear about things and, and then you're like I wish I'd never known about that at all. Like I, I wish that I that I had no knowledge of that at all. Um, and but it's like now the it, it's there. Like and now it's there, and I and I'm sharing it with other people because like um, sometimes you just like you don't want to be the only person that has that. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. That's how I feel about Christian. Like I like I I'm I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be like the Rick to your, to your talking cat, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, I'm just not like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, if like, if I have to know about it, then you have to know about it too. <laughs> yeah. That is my policy on pretty much everything I read about online. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, since we were talking about the one thing and then going to that, it's just, you, you, you hear about stories and it's, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, not reminds me, it makes me think of like stories of people going to war and, you know, you think about the, the, the stories of like war and how, you know, how courageous it seems and stuff like that. But it only seems courageous to people who've never been in war. Yeah. And because yeah. you're hearing a story told by people that survived it. Yep. Yep. You know, it's not courageous, you know, when you think about it, when you hear about stories from people who didn't survive it. Yep. You know, because you don't hear those stories, you know, <laughs> like you, so. And I said, that whole perspective is just like, oh, but yeah, you think, yeah, yeah. when you have this thing, you like, think about it, like, what something like that looks like. It's like, oh my goodness. Like, and not only do I not want to know about it, but I don't ever want to hear about it again. Like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about something like that happening. Just, uh, it's, it's, it, it's painful. It's, it's just very painful. Yeah. Um, did you ever read about the, uh, and then this will have to land, land the proverbial plane. Um, after this, we're, we're an hour and a half in. We, we can make it a two-parter. Um, I, 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 to be honest, I'd rather not. Okay. It's just because something like this, I don't want to drag it over two parts. <laughs> right. just, just. Um, but yeah, so during World War II, they, uh, the Allies kept, uh, kept checking out the planes that would come back to the hangar damaged. And they would say, okay, well, we need to armor up all these places where there's bullet holes. We need to figure out where's the common area that there's bullet holes and all these planes that keep coming back damaged. And the lead engineer, and I wish to God I could remember his name, but I can't. But he was like, 
no, that's stupid. We need to armor up all the places where there's not bullet holes. And they're like, why? He's like, because those are the planes that aren't making it back here. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> if they can make it back here, they're fine. <laughs> so, yeah. always like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, like, yeah, if, if you were able to make it back with the bullet hole in it, then, like, that wasn't a critical area. Like, yep. <laughs> Yep, so I always thought that was kind of badass. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so I've been a Comey. And my name is Turk182. And uh, we will catch you guys on the flippity flop. And I appreciate you guys sticking through with us on something like this. You know, it's sometimes every once in a while we have to tell you a story or, you know, share something that's, you know, not quite funny, but is like, yeah, we feel that you need to know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, thank you all, everyone, and uh, sang, yo. Later, y'all. All right there, folks. That was Our Moms Think We're Funny. Let's, uh, let's give them a hand.